Hi, this is Matt Bird, DJ, musician, and royalty analyst, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. What's going on, Wendy? Things are good. I had a game, my my uh, Pathfinder, which is another flavor, basically, of Dungeons and & Dragons, and, and me and my party of uh, murder hobos <laughs> were attacking eight trolls who were very hard to kill. <laughs> That's that's what I was doing yesterday. <laughs> What's more dangerous, murder hobos or murder hornets? <laughs> <laughs> we I, haven't we haven't assessed that yet. I haven't. I think the hornets because they're real. That might be <laughs> the case. <laughs> uh, and what's up with you now? I am dog ass tired, but I'm here making a podcast also which is kind of amazing <laughs> and um yeah i you know i'm just uh, i've been too busy but i've also been really enjoying spring and getting outside and uh that's been that's been fun to actually have planted things in march which i, I think you know if that's probably because of covid because i'm actually home mm. so it's an interesting uh positive thing that's come out of that like getting getting some stuff done you know that wouldn't normally happen so soon so that's good cool my body is almost used to the time change (laughs) (laughs) almost anyway on that note (laughs) i just want to uh talk a little bit about what we've got going on uh this month on our patreon and we have our segment we should be recording this which we say to ourselves all the time and we try to make (laughs) notes about stuff we ought to Record at some point. So one of those is about social groups and the change that happens with your social groups due to life events and current events and just stuff that happens. And you can hear these exclusive segments, this one and all the other ones for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. So you can join us at patreon.com slash leftscape. Yes. Please do. Please join us. We we need and appreciate your support. So thank you. If you are if you are a Patreon member, thank you. And now it's time for our three random facts and the news. And my first random fact is when anacondas mate, several competing males can form a ball around the female in a ritual that can last up to a month. I would like to join the human version of that ritual. <laughs> For a month? I, I oh. think a month might be testing my limits, I think. <laughs> I can dream, can I? <laughs> I don't know. I need I need to take a break for food and, and the potty. <laughs> well, you need you need a sex caddy. Actually. <laughs> okay. Which 
we we need to have a whole show that you're going to explain this to me. Okay. <laughs> that sounds that that's, sounds like a show for sure. For we should Patre- be recording that for Patreon. That's yeah. that's where we really get you, you get a way more TMI stuff on our Patreon. <laughs> right. Our Patreon for better shows. or worse. Yes. Fact number two. If we go by the astronomical calendar, the spring of 2021 in the Northern Hemisphere will last from March 20th to summer solstice on June 20th. Climate scientists don't define the seasons this way. They use a different calendar known as the meteorological calendar. On it, a year is divided into four seasons lasting three months each with spring beginning on March 1st, which I didn't know that that was sort of an, an official, unofficial way of looking at the no, seasons. I, but me neither. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's because the temperature cycle rather than the astronomical position of the sun makes it easier to calculate statistics for forecasting and that sort of thing. And so. of course, it's it's not quite the financial quarters. So... Right, yeah, that's another thing altogether. <laughs> it's a whole other thing, so... Yeah, that's- my personally, my first day of spring is when Rita's opens again. <laughs> that's like my well, it's the first sign of spring for me. <laughs> for those of you who are not in New Jersey, Rita's is a flavored ice cone place. We have one up here, which is how yes. I know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> if it was just sound in South Jersey, I would not know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and our final fact for this show is an update on the leaf sheep. Uh, there's more wait, about these. Wait, wait, de- 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 leaf sheep update. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There's more about these adorable sea creatures than I talked about in episode 91. They apparently eat plant life on the ocean floor at, and at, that lets them steal the chlorophyll that the plants use to convert light into food because they can't produce it imse- themselves. Who knew? Not me. <laughs> I like that. I, I, they are very... They're very cute. I like leaf sheep. I will be doing leaf sheep art at some point this year because they are really, really cute. They are just, they're like too cute to be real. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, I want to uh, let you know that later in the show, you're going to hear my conversation with Matt Bird. Uh, He is an improvisational saxophonist, a DJ, and he also works on the business side of music in royalty accounting and licensing. It was a really good conversation I had with him. He's in uh, Melbourne, Australia, so it it was great to talk with him about his perspective on things. You know, it was really, really cool. And I also got to wish him a happy autumn, which kind of breaks (laughs) my brain that I'm talking to someone like on the other side of the planet and things are happening differently there so it's it's very, a, it was very cool i think he's got to be the most distant guest that we've had on the show so far so far yeah yeah and then later on we are gonna do our geekscape segment and wendy will wax rhapsodic about star trek discovery <laughs> <laughs> and i'm gonna learn a lot about it too so i'm looking forward to that Well, before we move on to the news, we want to give a shout out to our Leftscape listeners. Hey, thanks. And thanks for checking out this show. And if you're new to the show, welcome. You can catch a new episode of the Leftscape every other Wednesday and subscribe on our website at leftscape.com. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're on our website, please sign up for our monthly newsletter, the Leftscape Lookout. 
You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leftscape. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at leftscape. And now, here's all the news we can handle. So it's spring break in Florida, and apparently it's out of control this year. Uh, this One of the cities has declared a state of emergency that's going to last through the end of spring break. They have like an 8 p.m. curfew now, which is... And, that's and, so crazy. I mean... It's- Florida spring break is is usually out of control, but this must be no and, and well, next level. I don't know. It part of the article I was reading in the Washington Post this morning um, was making kind of a casting aspersions because a lot of the people who are partying late are people of color, and and it and it made they make they're making it seem like the city's going. Oh no, a bunch of black youths are out being crazy we need to do something about this but i think it's every you know it's they're very it's very crowded there and i'm concerned even though we're getting vaccinations the caseload the the cases of the of corona are not really dropping yet so right it's not time to just think everything's back to normal i know by any means (laughs) And it's it well, Florida's kind of a mess anyway, because what DeSantis opened up the state, I guess, and people are going, Oh, well, everything must be fine. So Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, that's weird. So an eight PM curfew and I wonder how much people are actually adhering to that because I feel like spring break people are not now. They're not exactly law. Some of some in cases in cases like that, law abiding. uh, Yeah. Citizenry is not really what's happening. And apparently one very popular venue has shut down its food and beverage service. Like they're just not serving people. They're just I guess because they're concerned about their staff because it was getting too crowded, I guess. Or it could be sure. their staff, the wait staff said, hey, we're not vaccinated and we're not serving anybody in a crowded restaurant. And then the, 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 the employee, I could see, I could see the employees talking to the boss saying, yo, do you want us all to get sick? Like, shut this down. Right, right. Well, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, if, it, it, you know, the situation is just bad, but I'm glad that they're handling it. They're not just saying, like, oh, well, everything's great now. Like, some people are actually taking action to try to you know, make it, make fewer people come out there. Um, yeah. So. Good but it should, it should happen fire higher up the, the, the food chain in the government. I mean, yeah. the governor there doesn't care. So. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, people please get <laughs> vaccinated and don't do shit like this. <laughs> that's, my, that's my PSA for the day. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, the other really big thing in the news right now, which has been just really tragic, is the spa shootings that happened in Atlanta last week. There were six Asian women and one white man and one white woman killed at three different locations. It's, you know, by a young man. A young white man. Yes, exactly. Who was having a bad day. Quote, unquote, yes. That's, that was what was... <laughs> that uh... really just pisses me off. Right. That, I think that was the spoke the police spokesperson who said that, and he was yes, and... summarily uh, taken off 
of that duty, which I think was appropriate. You know, and it's a really sad, you know, state of affairs. I mean, it's everyone's, most people are calling this anti-Asian hate, which it certainly looks like to me because he, he went out of his way to find three different places where he went shooting at people. And it's not good. <laughs> and I'm glad, you know, I mean, it, it always sucks when it takes something extreme for people to start talking about um, the discrimination that happens in various communities. And there is a problem with, especially after the, after the coronavirus was sort of cast as, oh, the China virus or whatever, that sort of weird yeah. ethnic slurs attached, attached to it, that uh, we've seen an uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes. So I'm glad people are talking about it. I want people to do more about it and you know call the more we call attention to it i think the better we can do it's hard to it's hard to know what to do for me i always get sort of stuck in this um god it's not compassion fatigue because i really have compassion about all of these things that happen it's just that sometimes i turn my brain off until i feel like i can start to process what happened like the when the day this happened i thought okay i i know something happened i haven't read the news yet i think I think I can process this tomorrow. And I felt terrible not knowing about it right away. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it's not that I can do something immediately. Maybe I can just by checking in on friends and, you know, in my immediate mm -hmm. world. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's a scary problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I, I was not happy about how the media handled all of this and especially that well the police spokesperson had his own issues with the asian community right I, they found he had posted some memes or something that were well he was selling t-shirts oh he right. was selling racist anti-asian t-shirts right i remember itself. seeing that yeah. like yeah really guy you're a public official really it's like uh you know anyway Right, right. And another <laughs> thing that sort of complicates this issue, which I find, well, I'm not sure what I think about it yet. Or, or, or I've heard it described in different camps, but one of the things, like this was, um, these were massage parlors. So, you know, there was likely sex work happening there. Some newscasters just avoid that topic completely and just don't mention it. Other people have been saying, you know, why do we erase sex work? Because, you know, that's, that is a valid activity that should be legal. And you're, you're erasing part of the story by not talking about that aspect of it. And then another thing that happened, though, was that the guy's excuse about this was that, oh, well, I have a sex addiction and I was angry and taking it out on people or something like that. So you don't, want to excuse if i by no means me think we need to excuse this action by saying like oh he he had an addiction and he was upset because that's bullshit you know <sighs> but i think you know it's part of the conversation but i think i think part of it is for me is not giving people dignity as all that they were including doing sex work as opposed to like of hiding it to say well that's not dignified so we won't talk about it yeah it's part of it's part of the equation somehow, you know. Yeah, 
Well, it doesn't excuse whatever somebody is doing for their their work doesn't excuse somebody else killing them. No, no, of course not. Absolutely not. You know, so his excuse, um, his excuse, I'm air quoting of sex addiction or whatever. It's not an excuse. No, no, no. It's like, what was it called? The gay panic excuse. Yeah. That used to happen. Like, oh, I saw them, you know, like there were two lesbians that got shot in the woods. This is years ago. And the guy's excuse was like, he was so shocked and infuriated to see two women making love that he just panicked. I'm like, yeah, that's, that does not work. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I call bullshit on that. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But anyway, I want just, I want to, I want to read more and learn about the lives of the people who passed away. I have a link um, in the show notes about them because I mean, people tend to talk so much about the perpetrator and not so much about the people who died and whose families are affected. So yeah, I want to remember them as well. Yeah. Well, our next news item is that the family of Aretha Franklin are asking to boycott the upcoming film that uh, National Geographic is releasing about them, about her. Uh, It's called Genius Aretha. The family wanted to be involved in the film and the, and the script, you know, to hopefully make sure it's accurately portraying her life. And the producers and the and the the they, the family says they were cut out of the production process, and they've been asking fans to boycott it because uh, they're saying it's about common decent respect for our family. They're concerned that they will not be depicting Aretha's life accurately. So, so you can take that with uh, <laughs> however you want. So, so. Okay. interesting. Yeah, I'm so behind on my biopics. I don't know that I would get to it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that's interesting to know, you know. I'm so yeah. glad I got to see her at Obama's inauguration in January of 09. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah, it was it was a beautiful moment. It was very cool. And she got famous for that hat. It was really funny. <laughs> I mean, not that oh, she, got, was... she didn't need to be, you know, she, she was already famous. <laughs> but the hat was legendary. And uh, it was great. Since we're not like in panic mode over things happening in America every two seconds, I wanted to look outside of our country for some other news articles. And yes. That's what a I was good idea. <laughs> what I would and what I was seeing was also really fucking depressing, except for this one piece here, which I'm going to share with you now. <laughs> and I'm going to try to pronounce everything right. I probably won't, but here it is. Tarath Singh Rawat, the newly appointed chief minister of the northern Indian, Indian state of Uttarakhand, be- blames ripped jeans for all that ails the young. <laughs> The chief minister chastised Indians for running towards nudity and claiming that while people in India were wearing ripped jeans, those abroad were covering their bodies properly and doing yoga. Mr. Rawat's comments attracted widespread condemnation in India. The opposition Congress party issued a statement asking him to apologize to all Indian women or resign. On Thursday, senior party leader 
Priyanka Gandhi Vajra shared photographs of Prime Minister Modi and one of his cabinet colleagues showing their knees. So there's a... <laughs> I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. No, that, that's why I am bringing it to everyone's attention. We needed a little lighter news because, um, <laughs> you know, there's somebody getting all up in arms because women are showing their knees. <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of this the sagging jeans thing you know <laughs> that that yeah. black youth of today just need to like pull up their pants and stay in school and that solves all the problems <laughs> <sighs> that's uh well that's special <laughs> i for one will be running toward nudity because it's getting that's, warm out. That's another happy. reason why. That's another reason why this article caught my eye. I, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh boy! Well, that was good, and I wanted to bring some positive news to this uh, as well, or at least some some other some levity. You know, <laughs> um, there are plans for a uh, 3D printed school in Madagascar. Maggie Grout's nonprofit is called Thinking Huts, and she's working in conjunction with Hyperion Robotics. And they have, I believe, it's an interesting situation. It's like you can 3D print anything, I guess, which is kind of cool to realize. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is a school where uh, they, 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 they're doing fundraising right now and breaking ground on a series of modular honeycomb-shaped schools powered by solar panels, which would be the world's first 3D printed schoolhouses. And it, you know, the more you do, the more the cost goes down. So they, it's just much cheaper than the traditional way of building schools. And the first one would cost like $20,000. And then the more that are built, the cheaper they become. Well, yeah, you have to build the 3D printing machine. And once you have that, you can move it and print more things. I've, I've actually seen video of them doing, I guess it was like a proof of concept. And it, okay. and it's like, it's basically think about your like desktop 3D printers, like that print resin and just upscale it like a hundred times. And instead of it extruding plastic in, in layers and rows, it, it does concrete. And that's the building material. It's really cool to look at, and I'm yeah. really, I'm impressed that they've figured out how to upscale, how to scale it up to that extent, where we could use it for, you know, housing. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm yeah, I, it's good to hear some good news in the world. There's there's plenty of it. You know, it's not what most of our uh, most of our newscasts talk about, but I like finding these kinds of things too. So and, good people doing good things. And that's all the news we can handle today. This podcast is sponsored by that old can of, I'm not sure what it is. Now that you've eaten everything else, look in the back, way back. Yes, there it is. That old can of, I'm not sure what it is. On sale three years ago, at a grocery store near you. And now, back to our podcast. Well, 
Well, we are here on the Leftscape with Matt Bird. Matt is a musician and a DJ who grew up in a small town in central Victoria, Australia. He learned improvisation from a local saxophone teacher and became a member of his Commitments cover band as a teenager. Then as a young adult in Melbourne, where he now lives, he landed an admin job at a record company and took some graveyard shifts on a local radio station while constantly playing in bands around town. And he is now a partner at a business management firm specializing in royalty accounting, licensing, and data analysis. And he runs his own uh, small internet station called Radio PBS. He also presents a Yacht Rock show on Northwest FM. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk with you. Uh, I, I know you as a DJ on Discord, uh, Wingnoit, uh, where you do a show called Sideways Soul, which is just fascinating. I, I really love the show a lot. And um, you play a real mix of sounds from uh, sort of brash rock to Ethiopian jazz. I mean, I've heard a lot of different things on there. And um, how easy or difficult is it uh, to get exposed to that wide variety of music where you are? Um, I guess, I mean, now more than ever, I think everyone, we've got access to so much. Like there's music out there from everywhere and there's recommendations flying here and there, the algorithm at work kind of doing its thing. But I think on my side for that, you know, for that particular show, I think I'm kind of just playing stuff that it's almost like a musical history of me, I guess. Like I think a lot of the, like the, the Ethio jazz, you know, there was, I can pinpoint a time in my life when, I was just right into that, <laughs> just all in. That was all I was listening to and studying about and, and playing and, and that sort of thing. And there's been other shows where it's been more along the, uh, you know, the 90s trip hop thing, which was big in Melbourne in the 90s. And I was you know, working at cafes in Fitzroy on a particular street at a particular time with a particular kind of vibe in the air. And, and the trip hop sound from the UK was a huge part of that. So I think, I don't know, um, you know, exposure is sort of pretty ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everyone can listen to everything. But I, I try to keep things a bit personal, I think. And I think that's, in my opinion, the thing that maybe sometimes is missing from the algorithmic recommendations and things like that. It's it's recommendations based on, you know, X, Y, and Z data points rather than, you know, curated by a human with human experience who can tell a story about why why you might like this. <laughs> There's a great radio show on, um, is a station triple R here in Melbourne, uh, just a community station. And one of my favorite shows is a man, Jonathan Alley, and he has a show called under the sun. And he, like, I always think like, it doesn't matter what he plays sort of maybe genre wise, you know, say I'm, if I'm not that big into punk music, I know that he's going to play punk music that I'm going to like, regardless of what I think of the genre in particular, or it's just a good version of everything. And I trust that man with my life <laughs> musically <laughs> he's incredible. And that's, that's, I think what, what I try to do in that respect kind of lend it the, the personal rather than just the academic or the, the data analysis version, I guess. Right. Right. That sounds great. I, I know that for me in the, in the United States, it was, there's like a very kind of standard sounds that you hear on radio and you kind of needed to 
go out of your way a bit more to hear, to, to go digging, to hear some other things. And I think it's different now where the internet is just more, you know, there's just more of everything everywhere. So that's, that's a help for that sort of experience, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think, again, going back to that radio station, Triple R, I think that's, we're really lucky here to have that. There's another one, PBS as well, and 3CR, the sort of three main community radio stations. And I'm not sure what it's like in the US. I've, I've heard the, the words college radio dropped and that sort of thing. I'm not sure what kind of a sector it is, but over here, there's a, there's a really big sector, the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, CBAA, which is really quite well funded by the government and they're very independent in what they do. And there's something like, 450 community stations around the around the country and there's no remit for them in terms of what they can and can't broadcast obviously every station will have their own set of rules and regulations or whatever but triple r and pbs and 3cr in particular have been around since the sort of mid to late 70s starting as student radio and then moving away from the sort of the institution the university institutions and it's 100% listener funded um, the only sort of advertising they have are sponsorships from local businesses or or from bands who are plugging their gigs or whatever. But those radio stations, you know, every hour is someone different playing something different, whatever it is. It could be political talks. It could be, you know, art, um, you know, graphical art discussions, or it could be metal. It could be punk. It could be reggae. It could be anything. And it's up to the presenter to decide. And it's such a, such a huge part of, of, my um, experience in Melbourne is, you know, Triple R is on the radio at all times. <laughs> if it's not, PBS nice. is. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. I think having I those think sort of avenues is has been, again, another, you know, invaluable way of finding music before the internet and that kind of thing. I think we're very lucky to have had that so well provided for, I think. Right, right. Yeah, I, that is comparable to our college radio in a lot of ways. Like um, the, uh, to be... PRB, yes, in Princeton was one of my favorite stations and LAR in New York. There's a lot of, there are, there are things like that where it's maybe not the first line of what you get exposed to, but then there's all kinds of stuff, you know, when you get to those stations. So that's, mm. that's cool. Yeah. So how did you come across J.D. Riznar and the, the gang who defined Yacht Rock? <laughs> it must have been, I do have memories of watching it. Again, I'm really terrible with pinpointing years that things happened in my life, but I do remember where I was living. It was a share house in, in Coburg in 52 Wolf Street, and I had a front room set up with a little studio and a computer and the internet, and I'm pretty sure that's where I remember seeing it. And it was just as a funny funny series, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing to watch. And, yeah, it was, it was back then, I'm pretty sure. And it was funny because not – like I, rem I remember that being a thing, but then – didn't think about it for many, many years. And for whatever reason, that you know, the sort of the words yacht rock re-entered my world. And I guess, you know, it started as a bit of a um as I think it does for a lot of people, as a bit of an ironic twist on liking it. It's sort of like we'd have uh in the office we'd have a yacht rock Thursday where we'd sort of, you know, put songs <laughs> into a playlist and we'd listen to that and it'd be chuckle, chuckle, funny, funny. And yeah. It, started there and then there's a friend of mine the guy she was seeing at the time i think we must have been talking about it talking about yacht rock and he was like oh do you know those guys they do a podcast now you should have a listen and that was the beyond yacht rock podcast um 
which just rekindled my love for the genre and you know i think i just went right down the rabbit hole with that all over again <laughs> right that's so funny it's similar to how i got into it and i'm not exactly sure when i heard of the podcast either but i would just remember like going wait a minute those guys are doing something again that's awesome you know yeah. and it just sort of became a thing so yeah absolutely it's great it was just, it was a great extension on that initial premise that the idea of an arbitrary genre which to me was i don't know i find that great i love it <laughs> the more that you know the more things are defined now to a micro level the more you just want to take the piss out of that <laughs> it's like right. is this post hardcore or is this like pre-emo hardcore like a lot of people trying hard to define something so definitively then to come along and and just invent one i love it <laughs> yes me too and I, that's actually something i would like to learn about electronic music because i know that like i hear all these sounds and i like a lot of them and i have no real language for it i mean you know and that's something that I love listening to shows like yours and other people's where I get to hear, okay, this is what they're calling this genre. What what does that have in common with X, Y, and Z and trying to sort of understand the scope of it? Because I feel like I have rock music down. Mm -hmm. Like I know rock, it's in my bones kind of, you know? Yeah. But other styles aren't as much and it's interesting to to learn that and to make them up too, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. I think it, yeah, it takes a bit of a, almost like an, you know, anthropologist sort of view of it. You know, what is the history behind this? What defines this kind of area and what are the, who are the people involved and where did it come from? That's kind of fascinating to me. I think I've got a sort of history nerd bone in me somewhere that relates that back to music as well. Yes, exactly. So how do you compare the creativity involved in DJing and in live performance? Um, I mean, like they're, yeah, they're quite similar, I think. I mean, especially with, uh, yeah. So you talk about improvisation. That was a big breakthrough, I guess, in my musical upbringing. I remember studying like clarinet for a couple of years in primary school, sort of fifth or sixth grade, and then go to high school in year seven. And I picked up the saxophone and I had the same teacher as before and it was fine learning to, you know, I could read music and we we're playing scales and playing this for the concert band, whatever. And then, yeah, meeting uh, another saxophone teacher who I just by chance happened to have lessons assigned the following year when I was about to kind of give up saxophone. Sort of went to this lesson and he taught me this blues scale and said, all right, I'm going to play some chords on the piano and you just play any of these notes however you want and that's that's you can do that. It's like, really, you can do that? You just make that up? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that angle of music, which I love and which, you know, has kept me going through it. And I can relate that back to DJing because sometimes there's nothing better than to go into the studio with too much music and start playing something and then see where that goes in your head. You know, you've got three or four minutes of a song and, and you kind of go, what song would be perfect after this? What's the next part? And you kind of improvise that set because of how you're feeling, because of how maybe, an, or if it's live sort of DJing, how a, an audience is reacting. But even in the studio at the, at the radio station, the sort of the improvisational aspect is very much there as well. And I think I, I love that as much about DJing as I do about performing. And on the, on the other hand, 
it's also great to craft a really good set with a story. If I've got an hour of radio, um, I can write my piece and slot in the songs and really think about it. And that's kind of, you know, that's almost like playing musical theater or something. <laughs> like I've got a lot of friends who do comedy and I've played in a lot of sort of musical cabaret type things. And when you just have a show and you're doing the show week after week and it gets tight and everyone knows their beats and you're in sync, you know, that kind of, aspect to music is also amazing so i think i can equate i don't know i can kind of draw the, the same sort of you know vibes from the two aspects so i don't see them as being that different really cool that's good yeah that's good to hear i'm not a dj but i love making playlists mm. and i have that same feeling it's like how can you craft like if i wanted to make a playlist for us party that's going to go for like six hours or something how do you what do you create and how do you move the moods and that sort of thing you know it's it's fun yeah absolutely kind of absolutely <laughs> it's a bit of a misnomer to say you're not a dj i mean if you're putting songs together that's pretty much what it is <laughs> it's well, like, i didn't i didn't have to get a, a certificate down, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay well I, I it would be fun to do i have not stepped up to do one on discord yet because it's I'm aware of the time I don't have in sure. some ways, but yeah. but um, I'm tempted because it is fun to like, and everyone's so creative about how they create their stories and mm. uh, experiences. Yeah, know? it's turned into such so. an amazing little thing of to, you know to start as this message board with you know JD doing the sort of yacht rock sets and finding little stories behind it, and I think Macy started doing a thing, and then someone else and someone else, and everyone's sort of got their little niche it is it's just like listening to triple r or something <laughs> everyone's got their right. own little show they're doing their little thing playing their music it's very cool definitely um so what does it take to create and run your own internet station that's really cool that you're doing that yeah um from i mean if anyone wanted to do it it's really basically like the technology behind it can be really really simple you can just if you've got a connection to the internet and some hosting Kind of thing you can do it really quite easily but i think from my perspective it was trying to trying to build a radio station the way that i'd seen them used in real life so i mean yeah it can be as complicated or not as you like really but it's all it, it can also be a slippery slope in terms of like you know here's your bare minimum you can get away with yeah but if i had another thing that did this and then i could get one of those to do this and then i could have a great you know, automatic game control feature on it and normalize all the thing and have an automation play out system. <laughs> you can kind of go to the nth degree. But it has just been, a, again, it kind of turned into a bit of a pandemic project, I think. I've, you know, I was collecting bits of sort of musical things. We've got a, a mixing desk here that I bought probably 10 years ago because it was a third of the price because the shop was going out of business and I didn't think I'd ever need a 16-channel mixing desk, but I thought I can't go past it, so... <laughs> that's been sitting under the bed and now it's come into its own because I can load up the channels with all my different musical things and have them all running through the the one sort of pipe into the internet, so to speak. So yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a a little project. And it was also while um our office all started working from home, usually on a Friday there would be like, you know, five o'clock knockoff beers. So knock off an hour earlier, the company would buy in a few beers and people would sit around in the little garage area sort of outside and just chat just have a friday afternoon sort of debrief chill out 
And of course, with everyone working from home, we couldn't do that. So, so I kind of, you know, using this internet radio thing at five o'clock, I'd sort of go live or the, you know, during the day I'd put out, you know, who wants to pick a theme, someone would pick a theme and then everyone would pile song ideas into a collaborative playlist. And then at five o'clock I'd turn on the sort of, you know, white sky radio <laughs> and, and just, you know, and have the, the playlist on random and be able to shout people out. It's like, Hey, this is Christy chose this song. This is a great song. Or this is a terrible song. What are you talking about? And just, you know, people laughing and chatting in the, in the team's little session. So it was a good way to, to try and bring people together that weren't together. It was kind of fun. Interesting. So has it grown into something? Is it, uh, do you have sponsors? Do you have other DJs? Is it just you doing stuff? Like how has that grown or changed? Yeah, it's not really, no, no sponsors or anything like that. Once you start getting that involved, I think it's, you know, licensing kind of changes a bit. And I mean, at the moment, really, it's just, it's a kind of proof of concept for myself. Most of the time on radio PVS, it's just an automation system. So I've got a, a piece of software where I've, you know, imported all the songs and the metadata and the genre ideas. And then there's sweepers and bumpers and jingles and that sort of thing. And, and you can program that to be automated, you know, to play not particular songs at particular times, but maybe, you know, play three yacht rock songs and a funk song and then a, a hardcore electro. So like you can sort of set it up to be a bit randomized, but specific. And so most of the time it's just that it's just that playing no one's listening but I like to just come and make sure it's still working if something stops why did it stop you know if crossover between earlier, it's good oh good <laughs> yeah. um, I like it yeah I don't kind of advertise it sort of much it's just sort of it is a bit there for my own just you know entertainment really <laughs> but yeah I love nice. to listen to how the songs go together and occasionally I'll sort of just jump on and do a show to no one just to just to do it myself, but yeah, it's good fun. It's good. Very, very cool. So I want to change gears a little bit. Um, yeah. This, this show focuses a lot on U.S. politics and um, was born out of our distress about the election of Donald Trump, essentially. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I know from something I saw you post somewhere that you think we all just need to really just stop talking about him. <laughs> and I get that. I, I agree in a lot of ways. But one of the really challenging things is that his presidency has had a real huge impact. And it's important for people to really process this and understand what the hell happened here. Mm. You know, um, so I wonder if you have any insight on how he affected people anywhere in your country, maybe specifically, but I don't know, just what your impressions were of that and are and how maybe how the change in the administration has been perceived. Yeah. I mean, it very much, you know, the whole Trump thing affected everybody. <laughs> there's, there's no president of the world, but the U.S. president is the closest that there is, really. Um, so yeah. as, as, long, as much as it didn't affect directly the policy in Australia. I, I don't think, you know, Australian, the Australian government at the moment and for the last couple of years has been a conservative government as well. Um, the equivalent side to your Republicans, the Liberal Party over right. here, which is kind of Morrison, funny. Morrison is the Liberal Party, but it's not, the, it's the opposite 
sort of. Yeah, that's right. Is that right? Yeah, big <laughs> L liberal, not little L liberal. It's not the meaning of the word liberal. It's just their brand. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure of the history of the Liberal Party. I think they were initially liberal about something, but it's not not carrying the same meaning as, as liberal now. So it is a bit confusing. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. Um, yeah, so we, we do have a, a Liberal Prime Minister at the moment, big L Liberal Prime Minister at the moment. And I, I don't believe that Trump's politics would have directly influenced the politics of Australia, but the the you know just the the everything coming through in the media and the the culture around the guy and how that's affecting the US and yeah i mean it was it sent it would have sent shockwaves through everywhere <laughs> like there was you know BLM protests here as well there's you know there's our own we have our own race problems and gender problems and all of that kind of thing and you know it was bit of a beacon in a way like i think seeing the u.s react to donald trump and i mean i don't know i mean how how do you kind of explain trump's thing (laughs) yeah he was it was almost unbelievable like from here again i can't imagine i kind of want to talk more to you about how the reality was i mean we saw it from side of stage you were on the stage (laughs) it was it was a bit it was a bit of like get the popcorn holy shit how could he do anything worse how could this get any more like a joke but you know it was obviously brutally real <laughs> for for yeah. you guys yeah i mean it was terrifying i mean the 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 election night when we all were just waiting for hillary to win and then suddenly that just didn't seemed to be going that way and it just got less and less jovial and because i actually went to philadelphia the day night before the election Mm -hmm. and hillary and bill were there and bruce springsteen and the obamas and i mean bon jovi like everybody was at the was there like performing and speaking and it just felt um celebratory but also like really driving home like you all need to go vote tomorrow like it's this is huge, yeah. you know? And um, when it turned out not to come to pass the way everyone thought, it was just really shocking and distressing. And I just felt um, like we, I might need to leave the country or something mm. because it felt scary. It felt frightening. It felt like the the level of racism that was kind of in the air because of his whole attitude. Um, so it, it was... Really that early that like there was there was there was already the sense of impending doom before he'd gone on to do four years of outrageous things like you already were aware that this is the path that things could go down absolutely i mean it was just the way he ran the the we actually lost friends over we deciding to vote for him and feeling like it's okay to use racism to get votes or mm. things like that, you know? Yeah. And the, yeah, there was something, there was a shift in the air. And I, I know for a lot of people, it was, they consider it naive to think it's impossible for him to win because it's kind of maybe was a, um, it was a trend that is easily seen if you 
for for some people and not at all for other people, I yeah. guess, you know, but I think that the backlash from Obama, because a lot of people were just so just hated him. Right. For so it was maybe like an, one reason only. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like an anti vote. It's like, I might not necessarily want this guy, but I definitely don't want that guy. And that's right, a stronger yeah. emotion. That's, right. Exactly. And there was like this, the whole people just sort of hating Hillary and stuff, but you know, so it was scary and it just got worse and scarier and um, a lot of things. And so I think when we started this podcast, it was around, it was 2018 where the midterms were so hugely important mm. and just looking forward to how do we, we must get this man out of office. Like there's no, yeah. the alternative would be, I don't even want to think about it. You know? was, was there a big push on the voting side of things? Cause I know, so in Australia, Voting in an election is compulsory, so you have to vote. If you don't, you get fined. Like, there's, you know, you don't go to jail, but it's very much in the, the, you know, our fabric to vote. You don't have a choice. You vote. Do, was there a big push towards that sort of angle? No, I don't mean changing policy to make it illegal not to vote, but encouraging people to go and vote who may have been apathetic before? Because I imagine if because it's not a compulsory thing, people could choose to do it or not. And if they happen to be a little bit busier in that day, it's like, oh, well, I just couldn't be bothered. Like, was there yeah, much more of a push towards trying to encourage people to take this seriously now? And like, it's not just a, an inconvenience. This is a very real thing. Yes. I mean, absolutely. Very much on the, our political left. I mean, we were doing phone calls, postcards, all kinds of volunteering. I mean, really, people and all kinds of organizations were trying to do their best to get everyone out to um, reach groups of people who are uh, are aren't usually uh, as reachable, or you know, sending postcards to people who are reg registered Democrats, who are uh, Native Americans, who maybe don't have, maybe it's just a PO box that mm. they have or something, but trying to find ways to reach folks who um you know it was it was huge because it was so serious and and we had more people voted in this past election than ever did before yeah right across the board yeah. voting from um by mail was a big thing which he said was a fraud but that's right not. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that was that was huge i mean in some places always had that and it's relatively new in other places but yeah there were plenty of people who just don't pay attention mm. honestly yeah yeah and i wonder care. sometimes is it yeah it's a funny thing is it is it better that people don't care and don't show up or is it better that people don't care but they're forced to show up and i don't know make a wrong not a wrong decision but i don't know just yeah is it better that people just bow out not vote or you're forced to vote therefore you'll vote on something silly. I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, there's arguments about, you know, compulsory voting. Is it good or is it bad? And that's the kind of point I come to. It's sort of like, do you give everyone, a, like, does everyone have a right to vote even? <laughs> because the, the compulsoriness of it, you know, is forcing a hand to make a choice. So even if people don't care, they'll continue not to care. They might just throw their lot in with, you know, the person who doesn't annoy them the most or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is an odd 
thing to think of like having to vote. But I would I would err on the side of wanting everyone to vote as opposed to huge amounts of people not voting for what reason they just don't. Mm. I don't know. To me, it's almost like a sacred act. It's so yeah. important. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, vote, yeah. You know? Like I said, over here, it's not even a. You don't even have a thought. Like, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot more media and people are a lot more aware of international politics. I mean, obviously, people have always been aware, but it's much more present and you can seek it out a lot more. And, you know, we understand that the US doesn't have a compulsory voting thing. But before I really even knew anything about any of that, it was just you you vote. It's what you do. You don't not. (laughs) There's not a thing like, oh, I wish I didn't have to. You just go about and do it. And like, you know, every election that we have, it's held on a Saturday. Um, You know, so majority of the nine to five people aren't working and, Every poll booth has a sausage sizzle and a cake stall and a little fate and children's rides. Like it's a celebration. Like people go out and you do your vote and you come back and you have a barbecue with your friends and you watch the count afterwards. And like, it's kind of, you make a day of it, you know, set it aside and do it. Not just sort of skulk out of work for 20 minutes, run down, do your thing, come back and forget about it. It's sort of, it always feels like a bit of a celebration. That's amazing. Yeah, we we have. It's very easy for me to vote where I live. I know there are a lot of places where it's purposefully difficult. You know, people who are trying to prevent people from voting wow, or that's whatever. Just a whole other level, isn't it? It's <laughs> that's the big thing now. It's really um, stop gerrymandered districts mm. that segregate different populations, or or and all the. Um, laws that people are trying to pass to make it more difficult for people to vote yeah. that's really what we're dealing with so it's yeah yeah that's crazy i'm trying opposite. to think of if there's a <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of there's an equivalent like there's i think i have a like branch stacking they call it where i think there's you know people make up names of people to go onto roles that would put a certain candidate forward but i think that's within the party like like I'm trying to think there's no, cause over here we don't vote for a, a person. We vote for the person in our electorate who we want to represent us in our electorate sort of thing. Like Scott Morrison's name isn't on my ballot paper. There's the names of either independent candidates or labor candidates or greens candidates or liberal party candidates, but the people that are in my electorate. So if I want to, you know, essentially, if I wanted to vote for Scott Morrison, I'd put my number one against the Liberal Party candidate because the more Liberal Party candidates get in, then they control the House and the leader of that party is then the Prime Minister. So it's kind of like, yeah, there's, I don't think there's as much of the trying to play the numbers with populations and, and moving votes and candidates around because every electorate has its candidates and all of their names are on the ballot and you number them in order of preference from one to 10, however many are on there. So I was trying to, I'm just, I'm just trying to equate. That's cool. Yeah. What yeah. happens here with what happens there? Yeah. A lot of people would like to move to something closer to that. Mm. I don't know how big of a movement there is, but you know, it, well, it's not big enough to make a difference in, in my opinion anytime soon, but the critique that a lot of people have about our, two-party system is that it's it's it creates this kind of polarization that's so intense and so um yeah. destructive yeah for or know? against that's your options right right 
yeah, interesting. And that's why I think wow. I, I sort of tend to take a bit more interest in the kind of local politics, like the councils. You know, so we have like local council members, then there's state, um, you know, politicians, and there's federal politicians. And I sort of find myself paying a lot more attention to the the local council these days, like the local council meetings, because it's not as party driven. Like there are Labor candidates. So in Moreland electorate where I am, um, there's 11 seats. And I think there's no Liberal Party um, members of of the council at all because it's a very kind of little L Liberal area of Melbourne here. Um, so, yeah, so the, the Liberal Party don't even put candidates into the council elections because none of them ever get in. <laughs> so I think there's, mm-hmm. there's maybe, I think, three or four Greens candidates probably two Labor candidates and one Socialist Alliance candidate and the rest are independents. So I kind of, I, I enjoy that kind of politics a bit more because it's not as much politics. It's not, you know, left or right or Labor or Liberal. It's these 11 councillors who are responsible for making decisions about, you know, the, the soccer pitch down the road from my house. They want to turn into synthetic turf. And it's like... Uh. I care a lot about that, like the environmental impacts of that and, you know, the amenity of the area and the dog walkers and the families and the sports teams and like that kind of stuff is really important to me because that's, if, you, if you're starting to look on that local level first, then it's going to inform you on things further up the chain. So if I'm looking at a decision to scrap a grass oval and replace it with synthetic then i look at the studies and they're talking about microparticles and the merry creeks right beside and like that doesn't sound like a good thing that's going to sort of inform me more on environmental politics at a federal level at a global level and that sort of thing is a lot more immediate and maybe i think sometimes my personality type is you know see something shiny and go for it you know like <laughs> like a style of music go down the rabbit hole learn everything there is to learn about it and listen to nothing else for six weeks that kind of thing i think appeals to me and the the local politics is that immediate it's like there's things happening like a street away or you know the the train station needs to be redone or i don't know the the social housing in this area is lacking there needs to be more action on that it's a little more immediate and it seems a little more real and i found myself i don't know it's getting older or something but i'd pay less attention to the big stage than i do now about like what's immediately there and what affects you know, my community, the people that I interact with on a daily level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I am what, much less aware of the very local politics around me right now, but I think it's because I'm I'm a little bit in an island of where I, where I live is not, I'm not that interested in where I live. I'm interested in my little home and then mm-hmm. more of my community is, um, is elsewhere it's not necessarily right here yeah sure so it's something that i'm thinking less about but i'm sort of aware of the fact that it would be good to be in the situation where you are and i have certainly felt that way about other places that i've lived Mm. where i've been more involved specifically but I, i agree with the idea that politicians on a local level are much more about the very particular things that they're interested in working on. And it's not necessarily, they don't follow the exact rules of um, opinions and behaviors as like the top politicians. So I don't necessarily, I probably wouldn't vote for a Republican for president 
in my local level, a, a Republican is something else. Mm. You know, they 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 might not be, be keeping the same exact um, uh, politics or whatever. That, yeah, yeah. You know, well, right now, I don't. I mean, that's probably not. That has been true in years past. Right now, I think we're so polarized that it's sort of it's a different story. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to the anomaly, <laughs> must have changed everybody's view like well not not change their view but i don't know it just became i don't know going back to the impression from the other side of the planet it was yeah a sort of unbelievable course of events <laughs> i couldn't imagine what's what it was like to be there and does it feel like a sort of bit of a is it a relief still now or is it a bit surreal that things have changed has there been has there been a lot of action from the new administration to really, you know, send this victory home kind of thing? Um, well, there's a huge relief package for COVID right now mm -hmm. that um, is really a good move, you know. So vaccinations are going incredibly well. We've got money for small businesses and individuals and and people in all different situations to uh, be able to make it through this time, you know, and I think mm. that's been a huge um, thing that was passed. They were trying to pass a uh, minimum wage along with that, which didn't work. But, you know, compared to what got done, I think it's great. Um, yeah, I think they're doing a lot. And it's and it's it's very positive. I think culturally, I'm still concerned because there are people who absolutely believe that Trump won the election and that it was stolen. And there's a lot of, I mean, the whole QAnon thing, it's truly a cult yeah, yeah. thing that's happening. It's sort of a, a mass public, I mean, millions of people believe all kinds of really scary things. Mm. So, the, so the, it's the specter of Donald Trump still casting a shade. <laughs> Yes, or at least that the um, the kinds of thinking that he championed mm, and the people yeah. who were extreme about it are still around. So that's not yeah. he's you can say he's an anomaly, but you know yeah, a lot no. of that's still there. Yeah. So what yeah. what do we do? He had you know? four years of validating people's thoughts and feelings that. We're alongside his and that doesn't go away yeah you're right that's see again it's easy to pin it to the face you know donald trump is on the front of our media is on the television his face is everywhere and yeah but yeah i guess you kind of forget again sitting in the you know back rows of the show you forget that his his ideals still permeate like he has spent four years yeah validating people's racist thoughts sexist thoughts and it's four years where and delusional was able... thoughts. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. It's just... okay to think this fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think I'm still cautious. I'm still wondering, I'm still wondering what's going to happen. Cause some of these people, like they had predictions saying like, well, Trump is really still president and mm. um, all the Democrats are about to get arrested and all these things that, and they kept, it's like, uh, it is like a religious cult where they keep coming up with a new date. Oh, well, it was supposed to be March 4th and then nothing happened March 4th. It's, it's one of these Nostradamus, like Mayan calendar predictions, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So some of them are starting to slowly wake up 
and re- come to terms with the fact that this isn't a thing. Mm. But some of them aren't. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to what's going to happen with that. But well, I'm just still on my toes because we don't want, you know, he's threatening to try to run again in four years. And I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But somebody like him could run. You know what I mean? It's mm. something you've got to be aware of still. Well, I remember him. I think I heard him say or allude to the fact that, you know, he'll get more done behind his desk at Mar-a-Lago than he would in the White House. And that thought occurred. It's like, yeah, I mean, he already has power and influence over people. You don't have to be the president to put that out there. He he can't change legislation and he can't invade countries from where he is, but he can still have a platform to speak to people with the authority that they understand him to have, whether it's been voted in by a majority of Americans or not. Like he still has the voice and he still holds influence. It's just that it's not a a parliamentary influence or presidential influence. But, yeah, still still there and still frightening. Right. Well, my hope is that he's just kept busy with lawsuits Mm. until the end of time because he's got so many civil and criminal suits coming at him for Mm -hmm. everything he's done. So, well, please let that be the the vindication (laughs) that we all want to see. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you think, what do you think we all could be doing to be better world citizens? I was going to ask it from the perspective of of the United States, but I don't know. How do we, uh, what is my question? How do we fix the planet? That's a little bit too broad. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking. Astroturfs. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, my opinion, one of millions, but I think being worldly citizens goes towards helping worldly concepts, I think. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I mean, to, you know, to sort of, to tread out the stereotype, there's there's a kind of, you know, it's, again, it's a horribly stereotypical thing to say, but, you know, without censoring myself, there's a thought out there that Americans don't know what goes on outside their own backyard. Like there's a very, you know, the world is American centric. We watch, you know, movies are American. Our music that we hear and love comes from the United States. Like it's a a cultural force and has been for a long time. And that's amazing. Like, I mean, what would the world be without blues and jazz and hip hop and everything that came off the back of that? Culturally incredible. But also there's a thought. And again, I don't know, Australians have this great tall poppy syndrome where I don't know, do you have that expression? You sort of, Mm-mm. it's, it's kind of a tall poppy syndrome. It's kind of like, um, you know, you just hate on someone because they're bigger. Oh, okay. And a thing, it's like, you know, chopping down the tall poppies. It's like you're up there and it's like, because we're lower, we're going to, you know, not like you because you're good at something. It's kind of that concept. So I think it's, Australians have that quite a bit. And so there's a bit of a, there can be a reaction to anything that might be seen as American and, we see ourselves more as like, you know, we have this little island, but, you know, everybody gets a visa and goes and lives in London for a while or travels South America or go to Asia or see other things and experience other cultures and drive around the country. And there's an impression here that, that you know, the majority of people in the US don't care. <laughs> they don't care about what's happening in Europe. They don't care what's happening in Australia. They don't care who the Prime Minister of New Zealand is, you know, what's happening in Southeast Asia. 
we, there's that impression out there. Again, I'm not agreeing with it. It's just a well. A thing uh, no, I that... think it's yeah. No, I think it's well taken, and and that's my concern too. I I feel like um, a lot of people are so like people think. Oh well, you know, there's American exceptionalism, really. Mm-hmm. You know, which just says we're the best of, at everything. And I've even I've known someone to say. You know, I love America and I don't have any reason to ever leave it. Mm. And I'm just like, that's really sad <laughs> and yeah. really enraging, mm. actually. I mean, I would think, you know, and I mean, I don't know that I don't think most people think that, but I think there is a. Yes, we could benefit from going other places and seeing other things and hearing other sounds. And I think that's very true. Yeah, you know, I it's... think that's true of everyone, but especially Americans could learn something <laughs> yeah and again sorry like i didn't mean to sort of you know turn that completely around on an entire nation but like i think my point was the walk a mile in someone else's shoes like in in terms of like a the the quick fix to the world <laughs> you know experience and empathize with other people i think because you don't know anything that you don't know so if you try and find out then you might go towards better understanding i don't know i think that's my kind of general broad take on it is try and try and experience as much as possible because yeah you don't know what you don't know yes i agree and uh i love to travel and love to talk to people from everywhere and Mm. just you know take in stuff and i hope that we can uh this has been a great conversation i have to admit that um i am really fascinated with talking to someone who's 15 hours ahead (laughs) <laughs> and on the opposite season. And I love the fact that this interview happens to be happening on the equinox. So I can wish you a happy fall. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's autumn over here. Awesome. Thanks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, autumn the, fall. The, we will say either. Yeah, the spring equinox over there, is it? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very cool. Very fun. Yeah, well, greetings and... from the future. Sunday's so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Robin. On the next episode of The Leftscape, I will be interviewing Elizabeth Grainer, who was running for a seat in the New Jersey legislature, and we're going to have our first Artscape segment. Tune in April 7th to check it out. April 21st will be our 100th episode. Woohoo! I am very excited. <laughs> it's going to be cool. And to celebrate, we are planning a Facebook Live event. We're going to feature some of our guests from shows in the past. Um, we might have some surprises. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's in the works. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you will uh, listen in for sure. And we'll have more info next time. Absolutely. Welcome to the Geekscape. This is the segment where one of us talks about something that we completely geek out on and <laughs> we get into the minutia of something we we really want to teach or learn or just be into so uh we've got wendy on deck yes 
Yes, we do. Um, and this will be a not spoiler free discussion about Star Trek Discovery. So if you haven't seen it and spoilers will upset you, I don't want to tell you to turn it off. <laughs> Hit pause, go watch a bunch of Discovery and then come back. So... There you go, that works. <laughs> do some homework. Yeah, do your homework. <laughs> and this is, we're kind of in between seasons right now. Uh, season three finished up, I want to say, right around the end of 2020-ish. It, it, the season dropped in October of last year. And the next season, season four, probably won't be released until the fall of this year. So maybe I'm talking a little early about it, but I've been wanting to talk about Discovery for a while, and this is the first open slot, so now we're talking about it. So it's on CBS All Access, which you have to pay extra for, which is annoying, but that's, I think, the reason why pretty much everybody signed up for CBS All Access. I mean, there's other shows on there, too, and that keeps us from dropping it. But the reason we signed up for it in the first place was to watch Discover. I think actually was to watch Picard, um, which is the other. We talked about that one probably a year or so ago. That's the other CBS All Access Star Trek show. How many seasons of that were there? I believe it's two. Two. That's what I thought. I don't think it's done. I think they're going to do another one. I don't know. Anyway, Discovery starts out in it's sort of like in the trek timeline discovery is in between star trek enterprise and star trek the original series in in the timeline and the reason we know this is because captain christopher pike shows up um i think he's played by anson mount um, who was in some Western stuff. He's very, he's very handsome. <laughs> he's a very <laughs> handsome guy. Uh, I can't, a lot of eye candy in this show. Just for, just yeah, for people yeah. who are not, I, I'm not that familiar with the whole timeline. So does Enterprise predate the original series? Is that how that works? In the time, yes. Okay. Enterprise, Enterprise is before Kirk. Okay. And Pike is before Kirk. Actually, Captain Pike exists because... That's the name of the character who was in the first pilot for the original series. Uh And that's all now available on, I want to say, probably CBS All Access, but I'm not completely positive now. I was, and I, because I, because I was watching the original series while I was knitting, and they have episode one as the actual original pilot which was uh, called The Cage. Okay. And they and later on, they put that into a double episode of Star Trek, the original series, where he's the guy who's all burned in that, in that weird encased wheelchair, and he was talking with beeps, like in Morse code. Uh, okay. That's Captain Pike. And he's been parodied on Futurama and, and all kinds of things. So... <laughs> And the, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because after Anson Mount and Rebecca Romjan, who played number one, who was originally played by Majel Barrett, they really do look like very reminisc- reminiscent of the characters in, in the 1968 pilot. Um, oh, awesome. That's good. And, you know, they, they look great. And it's 
it's good. And they're getting their own series at some point, I think maybe this year or next year. And I'm interested in that, but that's not necessarily what my point is about discovery. So, so discovery starts in that time frame, and season one is a little hard to get used to. I'm, I'm going to say that right off the bat because they redesigned the Klingons. They look really weird. I think they got so much stuff in their mouths. The actors have a lot of difficulty saying their lines. It, it's awkward. It, the, the Klingons are awkward. You're kind of like, you know, you're looking at them like, you have to get used to that. And that whole thing is pretty much done at the end of season one. Um, I think season two brings in Captain Pike. Can I ask a question? Yes, please. So redesigning Klingons, like there's such a um, distinct picture of what they look like. Is it, what was the purpose of that? Did, did I it feel no like idea. they were too, like if you make them look too much like in the 60s version, they're like corny or they're not realistic to what we do now? Or how does that? I have, I don't know. That I don't know. Um, my guess is whoever was doing the production design wanted to put their stamp on it. And I don't remember what hand-waving people were doing to justify all of the different looks of the Klingons, but I remember there was some comment in a later Star Trek series about, oh, it had to have been DS9, and it had to have been when they went back to the Tribble episode, and there were Klingons there, and, and Worf made some comment about the difference in the look of the Klingons on from the, the, the original Trek episode. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, something like, oh, well, we don't talk about that anymore. It's very embarrassing or something. I, you know, they, 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 they said something about it and then ignored it from. So, the, so they too recognized the change and well, that made yeah, it well, well, make the Klingons, sense. Okay. Yeah, the Klingons in the original series were basically white people with dark brown makeup on and some beards. Uh, yeah, actually. They didn't have lumpy heads or anything. Right, you know? right. Okay, so true, right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, and then in deep in Deep Space Nine, they put the same actors who were in some who played like Michael and Sarah and and um, I can't remember the other people. Uh, they put them in the you know the the 80s 90s Klingon makeup <laughs> with the lumpy heads. They had the head. Right. I think that's and... actually what I'm thinking. That's true. Yeah. Now that I think about, it, I think that's what I was picturing in my head. But the yeah. original originals were not. No, the bad. original originals are just your, you know, generic dark skinned. You must be afraid of them because they're not white people. You know, they right. were, they were stand-ins for Russians during the cold war. I mean, that's right. really, you know, the whole socio-political reason detra of Klingons in the sixties. They, you know, didn't really, they didn't develop their culture or any of that stuff till deep space nine. And, um, or actually, you know, next generation. Next generation. Worf, yeah. Cause that's Worf what is, I, Probably yeah, remember but, the most. Yeah, but Worf really had way more, way more significant role expansion in Deep Space Nine. That was the whole Klingon Civil War, and and he had to reinstate his family. Lost. It was a whole big thing. <laughs> it's like the stuff that started in in Next Generation got like expanded in Deep Space Nine. God, it sounds. Like I derailed your I am, your train. No, of I am such a trek geek. This is ridiculous. I love <laughs> it. This is, this is this is how I learn things. Okay, so Discovery season one is about um, the Klingon. There's a bunch of stuff with the Klingons, and 
And in season two, and I don't remember now if it's season one or season two brings in the alternate timeline, which the mirror universe that started in the original series and they kept bringing that up over and over again. Definitely Deep Space Nine had a lot of episodes in the mirror universe and in in Star Trek. And here we're going to get some sp- more spoilers if you haven't seen it. Okay, Michelle Yeoh plays the captain in just at the beginning of Discovery and she gets killed early on. Like I think by the fourth episode, she's gone. And in the mirror universe, she plays the empress of the universe (laughs) of the galaxy. She's like the head of that mirror universe society. And through various contrivances, she ends up on our universe, you know, pretending to be, the person who got killed and, and it, it gets, you know, her character is actually really quite fun because she gets to play like this evil, badass bitch that will fuck you up, up and down sideways. <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> like you. It's, it's fun. And, and the thing is the, um, the star is uh, Sonequa Martin Green who plays Michael Burnham is her character and her family at the beginning you think got killed during some sort of, I think it was a Romulan attack on a base or something like that. And she is raised, or maybe it was a Klingon attack because she's raised by the Vulcans. She's raised by Sarek and the human woman who is Spock's mother. So Spock is her brother. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Okay. So, and I think in season two, because Spock is the science officer for Christopher Pike's ship, the Enterprise, they have somebody show up and Spock is there. So there's the whole Spock and Michael relationship and that all happens. And, you know, it's, and for me as a, as a ancient person who grew up with original Trek and Leonard (laughs) Nimoy, you know, I had to make a bit of an adjustment when, um, when the other guy in the movies started playing Spock and he was, and he ended up being okay. And it took me a minute. I like him. He's, he's, Cool, to get I to think. the new the newer actor playing Spock, right? He acquits himself eventually. You know, I you, you have to just kind of just say, okay, I know it's not Leonard Nimoy, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, is that how um, you say his name, Nimoy or Nimoy? I say yeah, Nimoy, it's, but it's probably Nimoy. I'm, you know, I'm oh. not. You, me and my pronunciations of names is <laughs> is going to be legendary for how badly I do it. Well, I would defer to you because <laughs> you're the geek about these things, but I didn't no, know. <laughs> it's, it's probably Nimoy. Um, so after season two, the end of season two has the the crew, the Discovery and Michael Burnham having to transport themselves like 900 years into the future. So instead of them messing up existing canon, we have shifted the entire thing way, way past anything that's been happening in the rest of the Star Trek universe. So now they have the opportunity to just play with that. And season three, we get, we get what had happened. There was some horrible environmental catastrophe in the galaxy that wiped out most of the Federation ships there was a um, something happened with everybody's warp drives all at once. There was this big calamity, boom, everything. Ha- and then, and then the chaos that ensued after that 
that happened like about 100, 150 years before they show up. So they're dealing with this collapsed galactic empire or, you know, the Federation is, is kind of very reduced and, and we're dealing with all of that. And I, and season four, I guess they're going to continue on with that. And what I liked about the show in general is that it focuses more on the lower ranked officers and the crew more than the bridge people. You know, it's not just the captain and the first officer, you know, it's not like that gang of four or five. It's all of the, and you also get, there's a much more diverse cast and it gets more and more diverse as the seasons go on. Uh, This last season, season three, we are introduced to a non-binary character who I believe is a human who had their lover was a trill who is being played by a trans person and the character's transparent is transgender and anyway so they get killed and the symbiote gets put into this human and mm. she's dealing with with all of the different personalities and her her lover she actually he I'm calling him him, he he and she, because I'm, you know, heteronormative in my head for some reason. Anyway. So the trans person. The trans person is technically dead, but their personality and their being, the the non-binary character can see them and interact with them as if they're physically there. Okay. And. And this character was introduced sometime further into season three, and and they are the ones that that are they're the way they're they're very smart and they're brilliant, and they figure out a bunch of technical problems that are pro, that are problematic for the the plot. And I wanted there's a you know a, a very openly gay couple on the ship. It's with the 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 chief medical officer and like the the engineer, the navigator. Like one of the weird things about Discovery is the drive system they have this thing called the spore drive and it's the only ship that can do this there is a a mycelium network across the entire galaxy and possibly even the universe and you can travel along it in some fashion which basically gives you instantaneous travel between two points so the ship itself it was like it's like a, a experimental ship with the drive and everything, and which makes it very attractive to any other power who, because if you have instantaneous transport, you can pop in someplace, blow a bunch of shit up and pop out before anybody knows what the hell's going on. So people want to use it as a weapon and they're always trying to save it from people trying to grab it and use it for their own purposes. That's like an ongoing thing. And the guy who's running that, he's he's gay and, and he's married to the doctor. And he is Anthony Rapp. Thank you, actually. Oh, who, okay. Who's like a huge Broadway guy. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know many people, but I know who that is. Okay, okay. They're coming back for the next season. And from what the article I've been reading is... It's not going to be as arc-driven as the previous seasons were. It'll be more episodic, which that I'm not as cool about. I like arc 
driven. I like having, you know, a big story that takes, you know, 10 hours to tell. I like that. Right. Yeah. And especially because in the, in the past, you get a sense of moving through time. Like there's a whole, yeah, there's a, there's a reason that everything's happening. Right. Well, it also it's, it's Babylon, Babylon five started that with science fiction, you know, with day, with nighttime television, having, having arc driven stories. So I'm looking forward to this and I recommend, you know, if you haven't seen the show yet and I haven't completely spoiled everything for you <laughs> um, to check it out, it's certainly worthwhile. I know there were, there was always a pushback because, you know, the, the lead is a woman of color and there's a lot of, you know, what, what some would call, you know, PC stuff. Right. But I like it. So this is a question I had, actually. So I know that Star Trek universe in general is about, especially the original series, was about portraying this kind of egalitarian possibility. Yes. You know, and in some ways people have critiqued it looking back like, well, it was like this, but it wasn't perfect in this way or whatever. Like, how has that progressed and how is that you feel like there's it sounds like there's more diversity Yes, now. this is, I think this is the most, I think this is the most diverse of the Star Treks, at least for, yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it is. I'm trying to think more about it. I don't know racially that it, you know, it doesn't have the same racial mix that the population has, but there are representatives of more races there's a broader representation on the gender and sexuality scale than we have seen in the past. And, and that, that goes with the, there's that, that phrase, I think Roddenberry, infinite something and infinite combinations. And I oh, yeah. that's the, you know, they're, they're definitely keeping that thought in mind with the show. That's cool. Does it feel, it feels natural or does it feel like, no, it's I think that's what's natural. It does feel natural. Okay. Yeah. Because I think some people, their critique would be like, oh, it seems so contrived or something, but it's... Well, you know, there's people who are going to sit there with with, with uh, check boxes and say, or or saying, oh, why are, why do you have this person who who's, you know, maybe could be considered female, but she's really, they're really, it's hard to tell. Right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I, I think some people don't like where they can't look at somebody and decide what box to put them in right away. Yes, I know a bit about that. So yeah, well, at that and 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 those people have been very. So they vocal. can be uncomfortable because yes, they're uncomfortable because they can't put these people in a box. Yep. So, and that's fine. I you know. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it's cool to get to that place where, you know what, you don't have all of the, you don't have easy descriptors of people no. and they can define themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. And, and and it's, you know, there's like, there's people who have a lot of cybernetic implants and there's people who have, are augmented in certain ways. It's it's all very, it's all very interesting in in those terms you do get a lot of backstory and you get a lot of character development and not everybody has like what I want to call Hollywood bodies. And I know Ensign Tilly, she is not 
your traditional Hollywood actress body type. She's thick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have been giving her shit about that. And and I feel bad for her that they that people do that. I think she acquits herself great. They don't and they don't try to dress her in like big flowy things to hide her body. You know, she you know, everybody's in these skin tight jumpsuit things and so is she and great. You know, I love seeing the diversity of body types and, you know, and all of the different things. That's not the only reason why I watch this. It's the stories are good and the, and the, you know, and I want to know what happens next. And I think that is enough to say about a show. If they keep in your interest, like, yeah, I want to see what happens next. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm excited to have learned a lot about this and... (laughs) One day we need a Geekscape on how to navigate all of the various new movie and television services and how to get oh off the cable God. and I how to that. decide I need that. what to do. Because there's too many <laughs> things. Yeah, like, you know, there's, all, there's lots of things I'm mildly or very interested in that I don't have access to now. And it's it's weird. Yeah, cable it sucks. Is, is Honestly, it's yeah. the, the way the media, the current media landscape sucks. I, I, and I will say that. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli. Web hosting by InMotion. And remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.